That means that now I don't have to think about it anymore because that was a package and it was a package of good, but it was a package and it's ended now. And so I can go about living my life any way I want. But prayer is an ongoing thing. Prayer is a state of being as well. Like in Acts 2.42, prayer is not an action there. Prayer is a state of being. They continued in, in prayer, state of prayer, continued in the seriousness of life. And praying is as a verb means that we are praying our commitment to God. Here's what you can expect out of me. Now, there are other forms of communication with God that we're not talking about here. We're talking about the common usage of the term, and it simply is not biblical. But I do believe in priestly communication. That means that we, as priests, as Christians, we are priests, and we have access to the Father Communication with the Father because we are priests. Every Christian is a priest who is in Christ, is a Christian, and is therefore a priest. And we have access to God through the high priest. No one comes into the Father except through me. Now we need to we need to zero in on that. But I want to expand a little bit on the worship idea because last week after the class, uh, Jackie mentioned to me an illustration that I gave 30 years ago, give or take, 40 or 50. And uh, it was about Tanya's dad. And she remembered that story, which I did not remember, but she reminded me of it that Tanya's dad was a farmer. He farmed wheat, as Tanya's mother still does, and had cattle, and I think they raised herds uh, in Colorado. Now, he was a farmer. Now, he was a farmer because that's what he built his life around, was that and the process of that farming. Did he go in and out of being, was he a farmer at two o'clock in the morning? Yes. Was he a farmer at six o'clock at night? Was he a farmer when he was milking the cows? Was he a farmer when he was harvesting the wheat? Was he a, was he a farmer when he was in repairing the machinery? Was he a farmer while he was buying groceries? Was he a farmer when he was eating and taking his wife Kay out for lunch someday? If he's a farmer, he's a farmer. He's a farmer 24 hours a day. That's what he built his life around. And a worshiper, they have built, chosen to build their life around the relationship with God. Folks, that's what makes you or Lydia a worshiper. You do not go in and out of worship. Prayer is not a transfer from being out of worship, of going into worship, or if you're in worship, of getting out of worship. 
Prayer is not a transition thing. You can't get into worship or out of worship through prayer. That segments Christianity, fragments it. We must get out of that kind of thinking. Prayer is not an entrance nor an exit out of anything. But folks, it takes time to peel off the layers of tradition based on uh, Augustinianism or Calvinism. But when a thing is in a participial form in the Greek, as the word worship is, and farmer would be, that means that that's what your life is built around. Now, he could have been a farmer and a worshiper at the same time. See that? Well, let's move on. I want to say this thirdly. That we, I, I wanted to add that on the idea of worship because I thought that illustration of the farmer uh, that Jackson reminded me of was really appropriate here. Um, <clears throat> we're not to be, we're not here to be kicked around. We're not here to be kicked around by the Calvinists. We're not here to be kicked around by anybody. But we're here to kick around the wrong ways and the false ways. We not only have to kick these things out of our thinking, but we have to kick them out. We have, we have to get serious about getting rid of all of these things that we have inherited and have, through tradition, brought into our lives. We need to get rid of them. We need to think clearly of that thing. So that's what I have to say about that today. Next, in our text, thank you, Nolan. I forgot to tell you that I had a message from Kenya that she would not be here today. She sent it to me as well. Oh, she did? All right. And you acted. Yes, sir. Yes. Unforgivable. <laughs> so even though we are very much opposed to the traditional view of prayer. We are much, much in favor of people having a communication with God with the right way and about the right things. I'd like to know how much time people really do pray and how much time they really do spend in communicating with God. We hang, we hang our hats on what isn't real, because there's an emotional satisfaction with that. And folks, that's one of the things we have to break as well. Now, let's go back to Lydia a bit. What kind of saleswoman would you expect her to be? Now, what did she sell, first of all? Purple cloth. Purple cloth. Purple clothing. She was a seller, not a fabricator. She was a seller. At least that's in the text. She was a seller. So the middleman or woman. In this he was case. a middle. He was the one that uh, took it from the manufacturer and, uh, and brought it to the public. The user. The middleman. Middle woman. Every, every, every process includes a middleman. 
Christianity includes the middle man. It's you, God, and in the middle is Jesus. The middle man. Everything that's right includes the middle man. Manufacturers are very poor salesmen. Getting <laughs> pretty personal nowadays. Oh, yeah. uh, well, you see, that's that's why you have to look for a person's treasure, right? Because everyone, some people have that gift. Some people have another gift. Sure. That gift is their treasure. So you have to find that treasure, or you haven't got any access to their life or their heart at all. I want you to remember that. You're not going to get it through politics. You're not going to open up any doors. I'm not saying that's wrong, but you don't open any doors that way. You don't find yourself getting into somebody's, the very fabric of their heart and mind until you understand what their gift is. You've explored their life, discovered that, wow, this person has a real talent there. Now, the church needs to be looking at those talents as God's gift to humanity and enhance them, incorporate them, so that the fellowship can grow. A person who is just a person of mercy, and if everybody in the church was a person of mercy, you get nothing done. You have to have administrators. You have to have the technicians. You have to have all of these various aspects for there to be a wholeness. We can't be judgmental that one is greater than the other. They are all equal as far as their treasure is concerned. We look for the treasure. We look at worship as a state of being. We, don't, we do not go in and out. It's, it's what we do, what we build our life around. And now we're looking at Lydia. What kind of stuff, uh, what, what kind of a salesman would you expect? Idiot to be well, she was in the right place. And I don't know the question I left you with last week. Would you see the Jews were in the synagogue, the males, the women were in the place of prayer? Would you, as a woman, have been in the place of prayer with Lydia? Would you have been there when Paul came? Had you been there in that time? Well, only you can answer that question. I don't want to be there. Well, maybe you should have been. I expect that Lydia was a top-notch saleswoman. I would imagine that she was really a hustler in selling her goods. I suspect that she knew how to market her product. She knew her product. She knew the fabricators of her product. And she knew how to sell what it was she had offered. And I'm saying that's my guess. Because she brought in here, look at the company that is found in this group. Now we have Paul sitting down with her, maybe on a wall. What kind of stuff do you suspect that with her, Paul talked about? 
don't know. Yeah. Does it tell us? Think about it because there is where part of the drama is that he was sitting with her and others listening in. And they were talking about something. We know a little bit about what it was because of the results. But we don't know all of the content. I wish I knew. There's some reason why Luke did not reveal that to us. But I think that he was talking about things that were touching her life. We just don't know beyond that. Oftentimes, just taking an interest in a person, genuine interest. The very fact that he was there. Asking them where they're from, how, how they got into the line of work. Obviously, he knew what she did. So, you know. Well, Luke did anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. But many, many times, just taking an interest in someone or taking the time to visit with them is. Very profound thing because they don't get it very much. That's right. And a lot of people don't are have lonely. Mic for Nolan, so Pardon? we don't have your mic on for some reason today. That's that's just visiting with folks and trying to discover where their treasure is. And I suspect the reason I introduced that today is I suspect that's what Paul did. He got her to feel really like dirt because of what she was doing, and he she was out selling him, and she want he wanted her to just drop. You spent? No, we've already lost it. <laughs> no, not at all. He was admiring. He had to come with her with an admiration about her successfulness and what she could do, what she did do. And then, you see, that forms the cradle of this discussion. Well, didn't Paul also have some, perhaps, some mutual interest in see, since he was knowledgeable about cloth and materials and stuff for the things that he did for money from time to time? Yeah. He was a tent maker. Maybe he was trying to a lavender tent. Knowing that she's a, a, a local merchant, he may have uh, also known that she would know a lot of people that they could both sure. meet and converse with. She had access to a lot of folks. Now, <clears throat> I want you to remember one more thing is that here he's in Philippi. And remember this. That the church at Philippi had a book written to them, and it was the book of what? Philippians. The book of Philippians was written to the church at Philippi. That church was coming out of these, this background. These kind of people having were being contacted, and he was the church was built now around. This. We'll have more to say about that in a minute. So, we have to think about Lydia. He was a worshiper. 
like Pena's dad was a farmer. Don't go in and out of that. That's in verse 14. Um, and um, they worshiped God, heart the Lord open. She back away. I think she was an out-of-towner. I think she was from uh, um, they were in they were in Philippi, but I think that she was from um, um, the Thyatira. So apparently there had been she she was either in Philippi. That's in verse twelve. So immediately, although after whatever their discussion was, the results of it were clear. She was. There was proof of her belief. Proof of what she believed. There is no proof of belief without action. And when she believed, she was what? <coughs> Verse 15. Baptized. She was baptized. And with the with the household, with the members of her household, and now, having been baptized, he says this, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, you come into my house, we'll leave here, and you come to my house, and abide there. She prevailed. <laughs> she insisted. She insisted that they come to her house. Now, Lydia cannot be overlooked. Very, very important, and I believe that she, even though the text is, we don't know for sure, uh, but how the place of prayer was in Philippi, and she was from Thyatira, but somehow we believe that she was, I'm suggesting anyway, that she was a member of the church of Philippi. Uh, so it came to pass in verse 16 that we changed course. We see another side of the story. It came to pass as we went to prayer. And you can say because there's a two in there that it was again a place. They went, they did not go to pray, they went to prayer. And that's um, you know here in the text it's called the place of prayer, but the word but because it's a place that they went to and um, a certain damsel which means again now a place of prayer was a place where people who were serious about the things of God discussed how they were going to put into action the things they were learning that's what it means to be in a place of prayer. It's a place where that activity took place, where we talked about 
people who are serious about God talked about how they could put into action what they were learning and uh, that would constitute then a place of prayer. They didn't go there to play cards. <laughs> well, they didn't go there to be quiet. They were going to be talking. They were going to be talking. Uh, they were not a, play, a quiet place. Because it might be. There might be times when there were nobody there. Yeah. But people could come and go. But it's where people where the women gathered particularly because of why why did the women have a place of prayer because where were the men in the synagogue the women were not allowed to attend the synagogue and that's neither that's not an issue one way or the other but that's the way it was then If we're going to be, we just have to look for what is the example in each of these stories that is applicable to us. And it doesn't take anything, you just can't correlate it with what we do today. So she was baptized, and then we came to pass, and we went to prayer, went to this place. And a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. The word divination um, is really the spirit of the Python. <laughs> If you look at the word, that's what it is. See that? And she was a soothsayer. That meant that she had good, positive things to say about life. Well, she might have. Sometimes. She might have and she might not have. Well, she could go either way. Yeah. What she, what she actually, yeah, what she actually had was absolutely no authority in her work. That's right. But they were empty. Empty. But they were powerful in that being positive, people found them inspirational. And motivational. And none of those things are wrong. No. But she was excellent. Until they are. At motivating. Until they, yeah. Until they are an end of themselves. She had mastered these oracle ways of communicating. She was a master at it. She had the very spirit. Now, the word spirit here is the same word as having a spirit. That's how she was known. By divination. And, and divination was to put a positive when, uh, when 
when to her advantage, they constantly passed on everything. Are you aware of any preachers that do that today? And inspirational doesn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And inspirational. Oh, she could inspire. She could get people worked up. What? She could get people to do anything she wanted because she had a she had a knack. And motivational. She had that talent down. She could motivate anybody to do anything she wanted, which wasn't always the right thing, because she could use these talents as a python. Manipulate it to control. So the same five, and by the way, they they uh, we brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So she used all of these traits for gain, and the gain went to whom? Masters. They were pimps. The same followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God. Anything wrong with that? I want you to be attention now. Is going somewhere? These men are servants of the Most High God. That was an honorable thing for her to say. And she continued doing this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. <laughs> he didn't like her saying that. We haven't told you why yet, but we will. Paul was greatly annoyed. And turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it, and that expresses that it's new. And it came out at that very moment. So when he commanded a change, because she was saying that, not of her own thinking, not of her own will, but having the influence of I thought, which was funny. And you tied her nefarious deeds to God's good deeds. Sure. Being a justifier. Because if I can say the right thing, it justifies me and my pimps in what we're doing. And she did this over many days. Did I skip the verse? Nope. Uh, <clears throat> and this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, Okay, now, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her the same hour. Some translations have it as he came out, 
Greek says it came out. <clears throat> that spirit is always an it, even in this case. Now, the point of this is, I think, that not everyone has the right to say the truth. Well, I, I was waiting for the tomatoes. But not everyone has a, has a right to say what is right. This woman was saying the right thing. But she had no authority to say it. No authority to say it at all. And it's true that God doesn't want the wrong people saying the right thing. Because she was discrediting that message with the other things she was doing. And there was a there that's right. And why she was saying it, she was appeasing a lot of people, but she was still saying the right thing. The only thing we have a record of is what she was saying that was right. That's all we have. And Paul, Paul felt, I'm sure, you're not going to manipulate me. You're not going to manipulate this with your deal. Uh, make it happen. No. And he got annoyed. They put a stop to it. And they put a stop to it. He knew it was from the spirit of the python. He likely, if you think about what? I was going to say, he likely recognized the, the spirit possession there too. Yeah, <clears throat> because he cast it out of her. And that'd be the will of Christ to do so. Yeah. So now she was free. So, verse 19. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains were gone, now that's the bottom line. Sure, of course. They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. We're going to deal with these guys. And brought them to the magistrates or the rulers, magistrates of the in charge, saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. Well, now that's not fully the truth. They weren't troubling the city, they were troubling these who had used this woman. Her name? Do we have it yet? A slave girl. You know, slave girls all said, I think. I think it's a slave girl. Um, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. Verse 21. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive. So now we're getting into what they are using as the smokescreen. They lost their source of income by this woman who was very successful at what she did. She was talented, she was usable, and she reminds me an awful lot of Barack Obama. Very extremely talented. A great orator. No content, but a great orator. Very inspiring. 
very motivating. But you see, the smokescreen was that there was something else. They lost their source of income, and what are they using as their smokescreen? Well, putting these people at odds with the Jews and convincing the people that these guys are proclaiming customs. You think they were concerned about those customs? Or not? That wasn't the issue. But that, became, that becomes the smokescreen that takes the attention off of their loss of gain. Isn't it interesting how we can get people to change their focus so it takes the pressure off of what we're really thinking? I'll bet you, as a policeman, you've had people do that, trying to distract you onto some non-relative issue. Well, constantly. Constantly. <laughs> yeah. People are, and some people are masters at that. And they usually start with, the what about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I've tried to learn some of those tactics. <clears throat> I've always got a way in my mind thinking, what would I do if I I've never had a traffic ticket. You check the record on that. But you know, I've never had a traffic ticket. And I mean over sixty-six years of driving. In the first first two years of my driving I drove with a without a license because I had state police written permission to drive a walking truck. And they 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 aided me. I couldn't deviate from the route. They gave me a route to travel on, and about 20-25 miles, and I was not to deviate from that. So never had never have had a that might change today. I don't know, but you know I've always thought about what would I what would I do if I ever got stopped. That, well, I've got this device and that device. I think I can manipulate them. That's after they finally can. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <clears throat> when, they, when the master saw the hope of their gains, uh, they caught Paul of Silas, put them into the, brought them into the marketplace to the rulers, brought them to the magistrates, and saying, These men be Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to, uh, neither to observe the Romans. So now, now they're playing the race game, the race card. Jews versus the Romans. The Romans. <clears throat> Does anybody do that today? Roman college. Yeah. Almost everybody in politics. Everybody in politics. Yeah, I, I was just thinking that in my mind, David, that what's being played out here in this passage could be, hap could be happening right now. Probably is. Some of the circumstances may not be, but the issues are the same. Because it's it's how many accusations do we got to deal with in society now? I mean, the accusations are endless. Endless. So true. So in verse 22, and the multitude rose up again. See, they were motivators as well. They got everybody stirred up. 
Out of a false and a straw man. A straw man is somebody you portray before or an issue that you portray before someone and then you proceed to pull it apart. Anybody can pull apart a straw man. But the politicians of our time are masters at building straw men. That they can pull apart and they feel so arrogant. So the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates went off their clothes, the rulers, asking his sympathy, and commanded to get to, uh, I mean, I understand this to be that the magistrates rent off or tore off the clothes of Paul and Silas. Right? Yeah. Is that how you would read that? Yeah. Yeah. And when they had held and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who having received such a charge thrust them into the inner prison as darkness and made their feet fast in the stocks. Remember that. We're going to come back and again, I'm going to close with a thought here in a moment. And at midnight, everybody was angry, everybody was mad. Everybody was whining. Everybody was complaining. Stalking. And the prisoners think, wow, we've got these people right where we want them. <laughs> well, not exactly. <laughs> oh, not exactly? Not exactly. They were kind of singing and praising God. Oh, <clears throat> oh that's a different thing. Well, He goes with this. Look, here you have these guys in the inner prison. There were the horrors of an inner prison. I've been there in the prison. Awful darkness. It's heat and it's stench. Because their feet were in stocks. There were no bathrooms. A terrible place to go. Or to be. But what a wonderful example of the transcendence of the spirit over the body. In the singing of these men in the black hole. Their feet were in the stocks, their bodies were confined, but their spirits were not bound. That's the freedom of which Jesus talked about. If I set you free, you will be free indeed. We close. Father, that is our commitment to live in such a way today. In Jesus' name, amen.